Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Pursuits of man are on a trajectory. They're on a course. You're passionate after something, and so you go after it. You plan a, an adventure. You plan a journey. You plan your travels. And there's a direction, and there's a purpose, and there is a reason, and there is a methodology most of the time to planning travel. Because there has to be. There's logistics. There's planes. There's trains. Boats. However, your method of travel is, it requires certain logistics. So there is this expansion that is necessary. But in this expansion, in this pursuit, on this adventure, or in this passion of your life, it also matters to our Lord how you go about it. It matters to our Lord what's in your mind, what's in your heart, what is the driving force. Now, something like a vacation, that's a little different, perhaps. But something that is about your life in the central aspects of your life, in the foundational aspects of your life, your career, your family, your legacy, what you are building and building and building. And mostly I mean figurative, but I also mean with your hands, what you're building. These things in life are important to our God. When I was a child, there was one day that my grandmother was visiting and she drove the car and I was with her in the car. We we're going to the grocery store, Costco, I believe, in 10 to 12 years of age. And she pulls in and she drives around that first set of parking spaces closest to the entrance. And having that not been the pattern of how my parents would park at Costco and what seemed perhaps a little bit unreasonable in my young eyes. I mentioned to her, I said, Grandmother, why don't we just drive over a few sections and park over there? Undoubtedly, we'll get a space. And she said, no, Bryce, we'll, we'll just drive around a few times and God will provide a space. It'll open up. And perhaps it's just a grandmother, or perhaps it's just the fact that I was a child. Of course, basically a few seconds after she said that, someone backed out of a space, and we had our space. And what I remember all of these years later from that incident is that our God cares about the little things in our life, just like the big things. So it matters how you pursue even the little things in your life. Now, now, every little thing is black and white or crystal clear in terms of giving glory to God or about ministry or about his word or about prayer or linked to that, but it can be. Because when you have a walking relationship with the Lord, 
like Noah walked with God, then it is about your daily life. Your daily life is with God. Your daily life is about God while you're about the things of this world, about the things of your life. So even the logistics of planning travel, even the travel itself, even the journey, or something you're pursuing at work or something you're pursuing with your family or with your spouse or with your kids can be about the Lord. And the Lord truly does want all of us to surrender everything in our life to him, to seek him with it, to honor him with it. And the scripture that we're going to get to today in Genesis 11 is a stark incident of disobedience to God. We read about the genealogies last week from Noah, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and how some sons went on obedient or at least neutral paths, and then one son led his family line, obviously so, into disobedience. So in the legacy of your life and the legacy of your daily life today and tomorrow, it matters if you're surrendering again each day, your mind and your heart to our Lord, to glorify him, to make much of him, because you're choosing him again each day instead of choosing your selfish desires. Let's open in prayer, and then we will be opening the word to Genesis chapter 11. Dear Lord, our Lord, majestic in all the earth, wonderful God, caring God, loving God, forgiving God, gracious God, please illuminate your word to us today. Let it leap off of the pages and into our mind and into our heart so that we are transformed by the words that you say, by the words that you have inspired men to be written about your story, that we might join you in what you are doing, and that we might be part of the legacy of your people, the legacy of faith. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Genesis 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The earth had the same language. Back to verse 1. I talked about this last week, about how it said back in chapter 10, and let's go back and look at this for a second. At the beginning of chapter 10, it says the sons of Japheth. 
And then a few verses later, it says, From these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans and their nations. And then, of course, here in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, The whole earth had one language and the same words. So which one is it? Well, it's likely that 11 is not chronologically placed after chapter 10, but rather sometimes chapters in the Bible, passages in the Bible, even though we have them chronologically numbered, does not mean that they were chronological in time. So it could be that they were contiguous with each other, or that obviously it is not chronological. Or it could be after the Tower of Babel incident that the people spread out into many areas and languages because of God, as we just read here, and then possibly continued to make new languages as well. But there is a marked difference. There is a marked difference between the theme here and what God did here. Let's look at verse 2. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Okay, good. Nothing significant. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Okay, building processes, very common at that time, nothing significant. Verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now we're on to something extremely important to be addressed. This is the problem with the Tower of Babel story, which most of you are probably familiar with. This is in the line of Ham. This is of his lineage. This is part of his legacy for bad. It's not a good part of his legacy. And as God had called the people to be dispersed over all the earth or out into the earth or on into the far reaches of the earth to fill the earth, to multiply and fill the earth. And what? What did he say? Be fruitful. Multiply and fill the earth. In verse 4, the people who settled here, the people who were in the gathering that were to construct here shortly the Tower of Babel, did this in direct opposition to what God had commanded. The second half of verse 4 says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. But dispersion into the earth was what God had commanded. But the people were settling there, like it says. Now, settled there, back a few verses, could be for a time, could be a few people. Doesn't mean everyone had to stretch out into the far reaches of the earth. God was saying, fill the earth. Some people settle here. Some people settle way over here. Some people settle the next mountain over. Some other people keep going. And on and on and on. This is how you multiply <laughs> And fill the earth. And when you honor God, when you obey God, when you chase after and champion the commandments of God, now you also are fruitful. Josephus talks about this story in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, book one, chapter four. 
Now the sons of Noah were three, Shem, Japheth, and Ham, born 100 years before the deluge, or the flood. These first of all descended from the mountains into the plains and fixed their habitation there, and persuaded others who were greatly afraid of the lower grounds on account of the flood, and so were very loath to come down from the higher places to venture to follow their examples. Now the plain in which they first dwelt was called Shinar. God also commanded them to send colonies abroad for the thorough peopling of the earth, that they might not raise seditions among themselves, but might cultivate a great part of the earth and enjoy its fruits after a plentiful manner. But they were so ill-instructed that they did not obey God, for which reason they fell into calamities and were made sensible by experience of what sin they had been guilty. For when they flourished with a numerous youth, God admonished them again to send out colonies. But they, imagining the prosperity they enjoyed was not derived from the favor of God, but supposing that their own power was the proper cause of the plentiful condition they were in, did not obey him. Nigh, they added to this their disobedience to the divine will, the suspicion that they were therefore ordered to send out separate colonies that being divided asunder, they might the more easily be oppressed. Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God, as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning them from the fear of God but to bring them into a constant dependence on his power. That's Nimrod's. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again or that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Now the multitude were very ready to follow the determination of Nimrod, and to esteem it a piece of cowardice to submit to God, and they built a tower, neither sparing any pains, nor being in any degree negligent about the work. And by reason of the multitude of hands employed in it, it grew very high, sooner than anyone could expect. But the thickness of it was so great, and it was so strongly built, that thereby its great height seemed, upon the view, to be less than it really was. It was built of burnt bricks, cemented together with mortar, made of bitumen, that it might not be liable to admit water. When God saw that they acted so madly, he did not resolve to destroy them utterly, since they were not grown wiser by the destruction of the former sinners, he meant in the flood, but he caused a tumult among them by producing in them diverse languages and causing that, through the multitude of those languages, they should not be able to understand one another. The place wherein they built the tower is now called Babylon because of the confusion of that language which they readily understood before. For the Hebrews mean by the word Babel, confusion. Again, that is in the book of the Antiquities of the Jews, book one, rather chapter four by Flavius Josephus. So we can garner from this, folks, that from the family line of Ham, from Nimrod, 
who was described, we talked about last week, as a mighty hunter before the Lord, or a mighty man. He had great strength. He had great leadership. He was charismatic to the people, to the people he was leading, to the people in the family line. And what did he do with it? Not only did he not obey God, but it was that he was not indifferent toward God. It wasn't that he did not speak against, he did intentionally speak against God. And he said, we're going to build this tower so that if God floods the world again, we'll be so high in this tower that we'll be safe. And he said that he would take avenge. It said he would be avenged on God, that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Oh, that mankind had not learned anything since the days of Noah, which Josephus also addresses here. When it said that the thoughts of men were only evil continually, that they had set themselves apart. Have you seen this in our society? Have you seen this in certain aspects of our nation? That men start abandoning the morality that is described in the word of God. That men start abandoning the sacred name of God, the nature of Christianity. Jews are also persecuted. Imagine that. It's Christians and Jews primarily when it comes to religion. Christians who believe the entire Bible, Jews who believe the Old Testament. It is the people of the people who believe God's word that the hearts of men turn against because the hearts of men have turned against God. And Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. There is a expectation that those who do follow God and are open about their faith will be criticized, will be persecuted, may be physically persecuted, may be put to death. It's different in different parts of the world at different times in history. But God says, be faithful. God says, follow me and be faithful. I will make you fishers of men. The Holy Spirit, which he put to live with inside of us, means God is living and active in this world and that there is still the straight and narrow path that leads to God, that leads to the kingdom of heaven that leads to what is good and righteous and holy. And God wants us on that path. And God wants us proclaiming his love. Proclaiming the fact that Jesus came to earth, God's son, God's one and only son, that whomsoever would believe in him, believe in his death for our sin and his resurrection might be saved. And this is the only means of salvation, John 14, 6. There is no other means of salvation. And for my Jewish friends who do not profess Christ, Orthodox Jews who do not believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior, oh, I pray that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because Jesus makes the exclusive claim. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So you must believe the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. It's not enough 
It's not enough to believe in God's word, but Jesus. No. God's word with Jesus. Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That not one iota of the law will pass away, but it will remain forever. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And Jesus came to make the sacrifice that none of the Old Testament sacrifices could do. We needed more. We needed God to rescue us, to make our relationship restored with God. How amazing and how fascinating and how awesome is that? So the people followed Nimrod instead of God. And the people were following themselves instead of God is really what that comes down to. Nimrod was following himself. Nimrod was leading a people in opposition to God. And when you're following anything besides God, it really comes down to pride. And what is pride? It's all about yourself. Josephus talks in here in his writing about that they sought their own happiness. They did not seek God. They sought their own happiness, that they were to be defined by their own happiness. But happiness is fleeting. Happiness is weak. Because happiness is an emotion. And God gives his children everlasting and eternal joy in him. And that's different than following a worldly leader who at times may make you happy and at other times will disappoint you. So with languages, God is in control. When you're obedient or you're disobedient, God is in control. When the people started building the tower, God is in control. Because God is in control of all things. Let's look at this. Verse 7. Come, God says, the Trinitarian God of the Bible was speaking, come. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Pause. Something that's so central to the human experience. I was thinking about this yesterday. Why do we go to concerts? If you go to concerts, why do you go to concerts? Couldn't you just watch a video of a concert online? Why do we go to theater productions? Live theater or live symphony or live opera? Couldn't you just watch it online? Or listen to it via an audio device? What's the reason that you're there? How about a live sporting event? Whether it's one of your kids' events, or you're an athlete and it's one of your teams or individual sporting events, or it's a professional-level sporting event. Why do we go? Why do we as people go to these things? Why do we participate in them? Why, why do we feel compelled to leave our home or leave our office and go and be with other people? Why do we go to restaurants with people? Oh, I may have just given it away there. Because there is an interconnectedness that humans have with humans. There is this deep desire within us to have relationships and communication with other people. Performers have that with their audience in a live concert setting. 
Theaters have that with their audience in a live theater setting. Sports teams have that with their audience in a live sports setting. And when you go and eat with people at a restaurant, or you go to a coffee shop, or you go to a bar, whatever it is, you're going there with other people to have relationship, to have this interconnectedness, to have this interfacing sounds too technical, but you want to have this experience together. You want to have the relating together of your experiences and their experiences. Even if you're a married couple and each new day brings new things. And whether it's circumstances that have happened in your life or circumstances that have happened in their life, or it's things that you think about, you're reading in God's word, this is new today than what you read yesterday. Your thoughts and how the Holy Spirit shapes you is new today than what it was yesterday. And there is this never-ending interconnectedness relationship desire in us. We desire to know each other. We desire to participate with each other. We desire to have this interconnectedness. This is a deep desire of man. This is how we were created. It's not 100% exclusive. Some people are recluse. But they, they might be the exception of the rule. So what does it mean to be unified? Well, unity is committing together. Now, unity, I'll say, is not always good because it depends on that which the unification is based. So when you're unified with another person, how are you unified? What unif well, unifies you? What unites you? What brings you together? What is the cause? What is the foundation? What is the base of your unity? Because unity in God is good. Because God's word is explicitly clear. God is clear. Jesus is clear. We are to be united in him. There's no more walls. It says that he breaks down the walls of hostility. There's no more walls based on skin color or accent or language or preconceived notions or sexes or whatever it is. God unites all of us in him if we surrender to him. But unity of men in opposition to God, obviously, is not good. And that's what we see here in Genesis chapter 11. Now, disunity is not always bad because it also depends. You could be disunited from the pagan pursuits of man. You could be disunited from them in their sin, those who practice sinfulness, those who are engrossed in sin, those who champion sin, those who are engrossed with pride or greed or anger. You could be disunited from going with the flow when the flow flies in the face of who God is and of God's word. Because sometimes God calls us to stand seemingly alone in a group 
when that stand means honoring God in the face of adversity or cancel culture or racism or being shamed, whatever that is, God wants us to be faithful to him. And you might be the only one. Look at the life of Noah. From the time that God called Noah to build the ark, and then the flood, it was about 100 years. And it said that the thoughts of men was only evil continually, were only evil continually, except for Noah and his family. It makes you think, if I was the only one left on earth still believing in God, would I stand faithful? Would I stand strong? Would I be steadfast? If all of my friends had turned, would I be faithful? Would I continue to be faithful? Is my hope so secure in God that I haven't placed it in the things of this world or in swirling waves of culture? That if my friends are swayed from culture on any given topic away from the Lord, that I would still be strong. This is what Noah faced in his time. And it should make all of us think very deeply about that. Now, granted, by the Lord's grace, today there are Christians all over the earth in great number because the Holy Spirit has done an incredible work. Because God is doing an incredible work. But if things change in your area of this world, from the government, from a people group, whatever it is, and people start swaying, will you remain faithful to the Lord? Of course, God calls us to be united in the church. God also calls us to be united in our family as much as that is possible. And mostly, and in ever more, to himself. We, of course, are to be united with our God. And that is the preeminent unity. That is the great unity. And from that unity, we should be united with our church. From that unity, we should be united with our family in honoring God, in honoring each other, in loving each other. What did they do in chapter 11? They disobeyed the commandment of God. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. See, sometimes... When God commands us to do something, us or people in general, and they fail to do it, God forces the hand. And God says, oh no, my commandment will be obeyed. And in this instance, in the first part of Genesis chapter 11, we see God take control. God has given us so much on this earth. God has given us so much in our lives. 
And God wants us to have the freedom and the autonomy to live and to breathe and to choose him and to choose to love other people and to choose to live a righteous life and choose to be obedient and choose to pursue him. And I don't think that he likes to control other people. But what happened in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve chose another path besides God. Satan tempted them into believing the great lie that they could be like God. And that was a lie. But they chose it. And that's what we see with Nimrod and the people in Babel. We see that their desire was to be like God or to be completely apart from God, but that they would build a tower so high that even if God flooded the earth again, then Nimrod also said he would challenge God with that. Don't know how that would have gone. Actually, I do. But that the tower would be so high that the people would be safe and that they would not face the judgment of God. This is key right here. Do you believe that there is one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy? The book of James talks about the Lord this way. It says that there is one lawgiver and judge, the creator, who is also the sustainer, who has the keys of life and death, the Bible says, and heaven and hell. God brought the flood of judgment onto the earth and killed everyone except for eight. Because God had chosen them to survive. Because Noah walked with God. And God killed everyone else in judgment. These people in Babel said, we know that God judged those people. But we're going to, in disobedience, build a tower so high that we're above God's judgment. That also is a lie from Satan. Satan, the great deceiver. Nimrod must have been greatly influenced by the evil one. Because no one is outside of God's sight or God's knowledge. And no one is outside of God's judgment. No one escapes God's judgment except through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Bible makes explicitly clear that Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf is enough to satisfy God's judgment. But we must believe. And we must surrender. And we must put our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus. A couple of questions. What is a building? Yeah, it's a structure, right? What does it do? Well, it depends. What, what is it made for? What, it, what does it house? What does it embody? So what does it represent? Sometimes, sometimes it, it surprises me. Sometimes men design and construct buildings in order. This is the main feature. It is in order to be the new tallest building in the world. Why? Sometimes 
Women design structures as a monument to wealth or prestige or esteem. Why? Sometimes we as humans pursue things which have no value in God's eyes. Why? Had these people in Genesis chapter 11 soberly remembered the garden, they would not have built the tower because they would have remembered that God is in control and that he swiftly punished Adam and Eve for something strikingly similar to this. But God did not leave the people without guidance in this dispersion. This was a dispersion, the filling of the earth, the going out into all the earth and to, to live and to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That was a good thing. That was a God thing. God encouraged that. The confusion of their language was something God had to bring to the table because this interconnectedness that all of us feel, this interconnectedness that we all desire. Well, how are we interconnected? Primarily, it's through communication. It's through language. It's through speech. It's through conversation. Or if there's a performer up on the stage, it's through clapping and yelling in the, in the back in the audience. Or, or if it's a song that everybody knows, and sometimes the audience, or a lot of them in the audience, just start singing along with the recording artists on stage. It's communication. It's a common language or a common speech. God took that away from the people because that was stripping something away from them, something innate, something inside. He didn't kill them. He divided them. And in that division, they're missing something. In that division, they don't have unity anymore. It's hard to be unified when you don't know each other's language. It's hard to be unified when you can't even ask each other, hey, where's the bathroom? Or where are we going? Or what are we going to do? Or hey, let's do this. They didn't even have that. Because God had spread out all the different languages among them. And therefore, there was confusion. I'm sure there were all sorts of emotions and expressions. No doubt it was dumbfoundedness, which was prevalent at what had just transpired. Because even these people at Babel, even these people in the line of Nimrod, under the line of Ham, the son of Noah, who were to do great things and were under Nimrod, who was a mighty man, were weakened and saw the power of Almighty God, who they thought that they could escape that they thought that they could be better than, but they were still submissive by force to God's power, God's sovereignty, and God's control. And God dispersed them into the world. But God didn't leave the people in this dispersion. God wasn't going to leave them unto themselves with no hope or no plan for the future. No. God always has a plan. God's plan is God's story, and he largely uses men and women on earth to carry out his will on the earth. 
and God would choose someone, and God would send someone to be his messenger, to be one to shepherd the people under the leadership of God the Father. And next time, we will talk about God's provision through the line of Shem and unto a man named Abram. Let's pray. Holy God, Sovereign God, the one who has all creation under your authority and under your control. Yes, certain men and certain women have positions of authority for now, but they would not have it if you did not allow it. They would not have it if you had not expressly given it to them because you are the one who is in control of all things at all times, and you are writing your wonderful story through the hearts of men and women on this earth by the Holy Spirit and by the testimony of our mouths, Matthew 28, 20, to go out into all the world to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the only way to be restored to you, God. Let us not lose sight of your call to be faithful, to speak the name of Jesus, to make disciples into all the nations. See, you too are calling us to go out into all the earth. It's a dispersion on a mission. Let us be about your word, God. Let us be about you, God. And we do this in the power and the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue with the story of Abraham in Genesis 12.